Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, well, welcome to One Life this morning. It's really a joy to be here and uh, to get to spend this time with you in God's Word and fellowship and worship, so thank you for being here, and uh, I'm excited. So, my name is Aaron, and uh, I'm the youth director here. Yeah. Um, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this day, this glorious day that you've given us, and life and new life through your son we thank you for your love given and displayed to us by your son and and still now through your spirit at work in us we ask that you please be with us in your wisdom and in teaching us this morning open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of your great love for us and humble us to let go of ourselves and of this world and cling only to your love for us. That it is all about your love. It is all for your love. And we praise you that you are such a great God. Amen. So we're in the Gospel of Luke uh, today in chapter 15 looking at uh, what's known as the parable of the prodigal son. So, again, chapter 15, we'll be looking specifically at verses 11 through 32. So you can turn there. It'll also be up on the screen for you. This parable is not about a prodigal son. It's not about a faithful son. It's about a father. This parable is fully, completely, and only about a father and his love for his two sons. So this parable, it's not about the younger son squandering his inheritance in his wicked ways and then finding his way back to his father. And it's not about a, a faithful son who remains uh, and thus has full access to all that is his father's. It's, it's not. This parable is about a father who loves like no one should. A father whose love is greater than anyone dares to imagine. This parable is not about you justifying yourself before God, but it's completely and only about God justifying about God justifying you before himself. If we try to read anything other than the love of the Father into this parable, I, I think we're missing it and we're falling short. And I'm not saying we can't learn things from uh, the two sons, from these children, uh, but what we can learn from them it depends on our understanding of the Father. Because everything hinges on the Father. So let me sort of explain to you why this parable is not about a son, but it's only about a father. So first, the context. Why is Jesus teaching this parable to this group of people at this time why is Jesus speaking this to them? So let's look at the beginning of chapter 15, just verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, 
And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is being criticized for spending his time with tax collectors and sinners. And I want to more clearly define those two terms for us, because they'll help us understand the context and, and why this parable is an answer to um, that question or that remark. So tax collectors, I'm sure most of us know, were considered traitors by the Jewish people. These were, tax collectors were Jewish people uh, that decided to go and work for the Roman government, taking money from their own people on behalf of Rome, the hated enemy of Israel. So needless to say, the, the Jewish people hated tax collectors. And the way Jewish people viewed tax collectors, I think, might be the same way our culture today views a police officer who, instead of protecting the people, murders them in the name of hate and racism. Jesus is eating with, staying with, talking, laughing, crying, loving these hated and despised police officers. And the sinners, this term sinners, Luke is not defining a sinner as, as one who sins, um, but more uh, one who is a moral outcast. One who even the non-believer would, would call a sinner or label a sinner. We're talking about prostitutes, drug addicts, alcoholics, child abusers, Adulterers, thieves, porn stars, sex offenders. Jesus is loving these people. And it's a greater love than anyone has ever seen. It's a love that doesn't fit into anyone's worldview and, and it bugs them. It angers them that Jesus would love the unlovable. And let's be clear that your average churchgoer doesn't necessarily fall under the category of sinner. At least not as described throughout the Gospels. We, myself included, more easily land in the category of Pharisee or self-righteous. Uh, we're not moral outcasts despised by our culture for our way of life. People may not like us, but they still view us as decent people. These are the people Jesus is investing his life in. And the good church people, the self-righteous, they don't like it. So what does Jesus say to them? This man eats with tax collectors and sinners receives them. What is Jesus' response? Because really these people what they're saying is I can't believe that Jesus is spending his time with these people. I can't believe it. Here's this, this respected rabbi hanging out with these dirty people. 
And his answer comes in, in the three parables that we read in chapter 15, the, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And they all communicate the same general message, that the love of God is far greater than you dare to imagine. That's what he's telling this crowd. He says the love of God is so much greater than you could ever know. And it doesn't make sense for Jesus to respond to this question with a story of a, of a wayward son finding his way home or a story of a faithful son that never leaves. But it does make sense that Jesus would tell the story of a father that loves his children. Because Jesus is seen loving these people. Jesus is displaying the love of God on earth. And so he tells three parables that reveal the truth and depth and greatness of God's love. Jesus is God's outrageous love in human form. And Jesus is loving these people just as God does. The second reason this parable is about a father is simply found in the first line of the parable. And it reads, There was a man who had two sons. I think that's pretty simple. This story is about a man who had two sons. This parable is about a father. And so I don't want to... We're obviously going to look at the two sons, but I want our focus to be on the heart of the Father as displayed through his children. And I also want you to be thinking, can I really believe that, that God's love is this great? And do I dare to believe that this is really God's love displayed? So let's walk through this parable, and we're going to go through it chunk by chunk. It's broken down into three paragraphs for us, which is, which is great. It kind of breaks the story down. We'll follow that structure. And so starting in verse 11, the story begins. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So here we have this younger son who goes to his father and says, Father, give me my inheritance. Give me my share of the property that's coming to me. Now, of course, he shouldn't have received this inheritance, this property, until after his father had passed. He didn't have a right to it at this time in his life. It wasn't his. And so this demand that the son has is, is, is very deep, very penetrating, and um, there's there's a lot of emotion lying underneath it. And what, what the son is really saying when he goes to his father, he says, Father, I'm sick of you. 
I am sick of your house. I'm sick of your rules. I'm sick of your lifestyle. I'm tired of this family, and I want nothing to do with you guys anymore. That is what the son is saying to his father. Give me what is mine now so you can be dead to me. Just the arrogance in this younger son's demands, the rebellion, or the beginning of this rebellious life that's about to be played out. And as Jesus begins telling this parable to the crowd, at this point, when the son is demanding this of his father, the crowd has expectations, and, and what they're expecting the father's response to be is no way. No, I'm not going to give you your inheritance now. And the crowd is thinking, the only thing this son's got coming to him, what I would do if this was my kid, I'd give him a beating, I'd teach him a lesson in respect. But what does Jesus say? That he divided his property between them. The father gives in to his son's demand. No way. The people are thinking, no way. This is not, this is not how the world functions. This is not what a father does to a son who is so arrogant and rude and disrespectful. This is not what a good, righteous, successful father does. And yet, Jesus describes this father who gives to his son. Jesus describes this father who, in a mysterious, mysterious way, loves his child. And he continues to describe the son in his reckless living. He got what he wanted. He left. And he squanders the property. He lives for himself. He worships his needs and his desires, living only and completely for himself, unhindered. None of his actions are in check with anything other than himself. He is his own God. So we see rebellion played out with no limitations, unchecked. And after he spends everything, a, a famine arises. Perfect timing. And this is more than just a lack of food. This is an economic downturn. The economy has crashed. It's a, it's a depression. There's no food. There's no work. There's, there's no money. There's desperate times for everyone. And the son has lost everything. He comes to such a desperate situation that he hires himself out, or he gives himself to. He becomes a servant of, of one of the citizens of that country, a Gentile nation. Not only that, but he's the one who feeds the pigs. This animal, the pig, is, is a dirty, unclean animal. Jewish people were not allowed to have anything to do with pigs. And here we see this, this Jewish boy is now feeding these pigs. He's at rock bottom. He has nothing left. No resources, no hope, no help, 
and probably not even any respect for himself. And he's dying. It says he was longing to be fed with the pigs. You've got to be starving to want that meal. This is a desperate situation. There's no hope left for this son, and no one's helping him. And in that picture of despair and utter darkness, we see the effects of rebellion, of his evil desires and his desire to be his own man, his desire to be his own God, to worship himself. We see him now realizing the effects of that choice, of that lifestyle. And so the story continues in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his, ser- to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So when this son hits rock bottom, when he realizes the devastation of his unchecked, unhindered sin, he finally comes to his senses. He finally realizes the situation he's gotten himself into, and he remembers his father. Now his desire to return to his father is the beginning of repentance. But he can't truly and fully repent until he realizes the love of his father. Until he realizes that he can't right his wrongs. He can't repay his father and he can't, he can't even receive what he thinks he needs. Because he doesn't know what he needs. He thinks he needs food. And he doesn't need food. He needs life. He cannot receive life as a servant, but only as a child. So what I'm saying is the son can't repent unless his father loves him. He can be sorry, but he can't repent because the goal and purpose of repentance is reconciliation. And to be his father's servant is not to be reconciled to his father. So his decision to return home is the beginning of repentance. We see in the request that he practices saying before his father, he says, treat me as a servant. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Just treat me as a servant. He's hoping for pity from his father, but he's not expecting love. And so as he's journeying back home, practicing this speech and apology in his mind and and thinking of what's going to happen, 
we see that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And here we have this beautiful picture of an unimaginable love. And all the while, this crowd is thinking, great, the son has finally realized how stupid he is. And he's going to his father to try to work off his debt, and and the crowd is thinking, great, here's going to be some justice. The father's going to give him what he deserves. Turn him away. And there's like, no way this father receives his son back. Absolutely not. But what does Jesus say? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father felt compassion. Why? Because more than anything else, he loves his son. More than his property that he lost, he loves this child of his and he runs. And we need to understand that older respected men in this culture and still today in our culture, they they don't run. Uh, He's a respected businessman very well known among the people in his town or village. And he doesn't run. He has servants that run for him, servants that do everything for him. And I was trying to think of, who do we have in our culture? Who can I just not picture running for any reason, let alone compassion and love? So I landed on Donald Trump. Just imagine Donald Trump not just running, but filled and overwhelmed by compassion and love and mercy in tears and just just wrecked emotional love running to meet his son. Donald Trump doesn't run. And if he did, that'd be a sight to see. And really, this is who the crowd wants. They want a Donald Trump. They want a stern, hard businessman who goes around firing people because they don't live up to his standards. That's, that's what this self-righteous crowd wants. And listening to the parable, they're thinking, you've got to be kidding me. What planet are you on, Jesus? This isn't how it works. So the son doesn't even make it back to his father. Not only that, but he begins his apology. He begins this speech that he has prepared and rehearsed. And his father doesn't even listen to it. He doesn't even consider his child's words. Then he does the unthinkable, the unimaginable. He restores his son, not just that, but with joy and celebration. He was glad to do it. He's not forcing any emotion here. The father is overcome with compassion and love for his son, and it's his only motive. Not just in this moment, but in every moment, he's motivated by the love he has for his children. 
And now in this last section, starting at verse 25, uh, the older son comes into the picture. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you gave me, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting, or we had to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So again, we see the same thing. The father comes out to meet his son. Now this older son, he makes his case to his father in jealousy and anger and bitterness. He too disrespects his father. And he also makes his case as a servant and not a child. He says, look, these many years I have served you. He too needs to realize his father's love. He needs to repent and he needs to be reconciled to his father. Now the father's response is again unexpected to say the least. It's an inappropriate by worldly standards. The, the crowd again is thinking this son deserves to be taught a lesson in respect for his father. But what does Jesus say again? Father again shows love and compassion. The older son believes that he has earned and thus has a right over and above his brother to be celebrated and honored. He feels that, that he has earned that right. He's, Look at how great I am, he says. I'm the perfect son. The son you should want, but instead you want this other son who's disgraced you. That, that's his argument. He says, I'm the child that you should want. Look at me. Look at what I've done for you. And the older son views his father's love through the lens of his own actions. He too feels he has to earn the love and affection of his dad. And the father replies, you've got it all wrong. My love is not based on your action. You have everything that is mine. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to serve me for it. If you wanted the fattened calf, you could have had it because all that is mine is yours. don't have to earn it. I would have gladly given it to you. 
this older son probably never even asked for a party. He was just waiting for his father to see how great he was and just give it to him. Well, no. What is the father communicating to his children, both through action and through word? Throughout this parable, we see that he is loving beyond imagination with an outrageous, unexpected, overflowing, abundant, unhindered love. And after he hears his oldest son's argument, he says, it's not about you. It's not about your brother. It's not about comparing yourselves to one another. It's not about what you have done or haven't done or what he did or didn't do. It's about me and my love for you. You can't earn my love. You can't buy my love. You can't lose my love. When will you realize that I love you because you are my children? Nothing more, nothing less. And his plea to both his son says, be my child, not my servant. His father does not want servants. He wants children. And it's not hard for us to tell that what Jesus is communicating here is a picture of God's love. And we, of course, see that quite easily displayed through the younger son and his life played out before us. But we need to see as well that the father desperately loves both of his children. That he loves his older, self-righteous son. The, the good church person he loves too. And he loves his younger, broken, lost child as well. And it's not a love that's dependent on anything you or I have ever done, good or bad, not a thing. But it's a love freely given simply because God is love. And far too often, we think through repentance as turning from sin and then returning and working our way back toward God. Whether that be through action or uh, a specific kind of prayer that we pray or maybe giving ourselves three, four days before we go to God. But what does Jesus tell us in this parable? The younger son didn't even make it back to his father. So easily we think, I've got to make up for what I've done. I have to earn back God's love. I can't be a child of God yet. I've got to go put in my time. That's not repentance. God does not desire a servant. God does not want slaves. He wants children. He wants people who know his love and in turn love him and have a relationship with him. Those who will enjoy the party and not feel like they have to serve the guests because 
are the guests. And just as we see with the picture of the two sons, it doesn't matter what they did. His father, he doesn't even care. He doesn't even ask his younger child, where have you been? What have you been doing? How's life going? And he never asks his older son, what have you ever done for me? Why should I give you the fatted calf? It's no part of either conversation. And I would say that it's clear, it's not even on the father's mind to ask those questions. And if we truly believe, I mean truly believe that Jesus died for our sins and paid the full amount, and if we really begin to understand those words, it is finished, then we can no longer allow ourselves to believe that our sin nor our self-righteousness has any impact on God's love for us. That's the victory won on the cross. No more does sin, rebellion, no more does that have a say in anything. Neither does self-righteousness, good works, being the good son that doesn't change God's love either. We need to know that there's, there's just as much wickedness in our self-righteous thought as there is in open rebellion. There's no, really no difference in the heart of these two children in the parable. There's, there's a saying that captures this, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. God wants you and I to realize his, realize his love. Pure and simple, just His love. And you need to understand, you really need to hear, not from me, but from God. His Spirit speaking to you, you need to hear that God loves you. He just wants to love you just wants to throw a party and celebrate because you're back. He doesn't want to hear your excuses. He doesn't want you to try and make yourself a servant. He wants to love you. You can't earn God's love Therefore, if you try, you will never feel worthy of it because it's not attainable through work. The more you try to earn God's love, the further you will remove yourself from knowing God's love. Because in trying to earn it, it becomes about you and your work and not about His love and His work. Stop trying to earn His love. And on the other side of things, you can't make yourself unworthy of God's love. 
And it's for the same reasons, because it's not about you. So stop disqualifying yourself. That's not how God sees you. God's love is not based on you, good or bad. And the father's response to both his children is, stop looking to yourself for my love and my affection, but look look to me. Forget about you. Fix your eyes on me, and only then will you know how much I love you. Stop looking at yourself, your works, good or bad. Lift your eyes to see Jesus on the cross, perfect demonstration of God's perfect love. So I'd like to invite the worship team up, and I just want to read through some scriptures scattered throughout the New Testament. And hopefully with a new understanding of God's love for us, we can hear these brief passages in a deeper truth. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. John 15.9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2.4-5, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Ephesians 5, 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16, Now may our Lord... Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. 1 John 3, 1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. 1 John two sixteen. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. In 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It is only absolutely, completely God's love for you that determines that God loves you. So I just have one question again for us to think through and sort of respond around. Do you dare to believe in the greatness of God's love for you? Do you dare to search the depths of that love? And if you're thinking, what's the practical application? What do I do? What do I go out and do now? How do I spend the rest of my week? Don't do anything. Stop doing. Just receive God's love. Father, thank you for your love, for your Son as a demonstration of that love, for your Spirit who works your love in our lives still to this day. Please, God, humble us. 
Open our hearts to receive your love and help us to understand it in truth and in boldness to proclaim your love in and over our lives. Please, Father, let our focus only be on you and your work for us. Let us forget ourselves in the sight of your glory. May we disappear as we enjoy and celebrate our new life with you. Thank you, Father, for your Son who has made all this possible. In his name we pray.